before we get into the message today. I promise this is the only time I'm going to get this off my chest, and then I'll let it go, and then we'll move on through the holiday season. But can I just tell you that I was reminded again this past week, obviously, with all the holiday shopping season starting, that uh, I was like, God, I, I, have, an, I have another wish for, for Christmas this year, and that is that I wish someday before Jesus comes back that your children, the children of God, would be as enthusiastic about coming to church as we as a society are about shopping. I mean, nobody seems to mind standing in lines for the stores to open. They don't seem to mind staying out late and getting up early. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But all that is for material, physical, temporary things. And what we do on Sunday every week and what we do on Tuesday night every week, that's eternal things. That's what's really important. And yet it doesn't seem to translate with many Christians. They, you know, you don't see hundreds of Christians lining up at the doors of churches on Sunday morning, waiting for the doors to open up and come in and, and be there right as soon as the doors open and, and be there with the same enthusiasm that we see on TV with people crowding into stores for the Christmas holiday shopping season. Okay. I'm letting it go now. I've got it off my chest. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Last week we started our five-week Christmas series, which, by the way, too, can I just say, all these lovely, wonderful songs that our worship team is doing throughout this series of Christmas, you're certainly going to hear them again for our Christmas Eve service coming up this year. Uh, our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And, and even next week, they're rolling out a brand new Christmas song that uh, has never been done here at the Oasis. So again, I hope you come and you come early and get here on time. You don't want to miss these great Christmas songs, too, that they're, uh, that they're helping us to learn and, and stuff. Uh, good stuff. Right at 10 o'clock. So last week, we opened up with the angel Gabriel's announcement to Mary about the birth of Jesus Christ. And we saw there that though we live in a world that, again, is afraid they're going to miss something, that we were encouraged that if we're willing to walk hand in hand with God every day, we'll never miss what is of greatest worth and value in life. And we saw that through the story of Mary where the angel Gabriel says, nothing is impossible with, big little word, with God. And so we saw there what we can do with God, what our lives can be like with God. And we talked about that last week. Now today, we're going to see where God is going to communicate His plan and His will to now the other side of this young couple, to Joseph. So I'd like you to follow along as I just read this passage today that we're going to share a few thoughts from. And it starts in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. 
while his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife, but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. Now, obviously, the Christmas story. Many people know, but one of my goals this year in doing this is that we might look at the Christmas story through fresh eyes, that we might see it in maybe a way that we haven't seen it. And though it may be familiar to us in many ways, hopefully we will discover things from the word of God that are not as familiar to us about the Christmas story and that will make the whole story of Christ's birth come alive to us like never before. That's our goal for doing this series. And so today we are seeing this interaction between God and this young man named Joseph. One of the first things I want to point out is this. When God is in the business of doing a work or doing something, and it involves more than one person, You will note here in the last two weeks how God will make sure that both parties are involved and that both parties have similar revelation given to them so that they can walk down the same road that God wants them to. God did not expect Joseph to just take Mary's word for it or the other way around. God was going to give Mary and Joseph very similar revelation. That's true with God down through history. Whether you're talking about a married couple, whether you're talking about two friends, whether you're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ or a church filled with brothers and sisters in Christ, that if God wants us all to move in a direction, he's not just going to plant that thought and that seed and and that revelation into one and, and hope that everybody... No, everybody is going to begin feeling impressed by God that this is the way we should go so that God's people can be unified, and go the same way that God is leading here. And one of the things that we see in this interaction between God and Joseph is what is he going to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? What is he going to do with Jesus? Because Jesus is coming into the world and God has chosen him to assume the responsibility of being the father of the son of God. And therefore it's like, what do I do with that? I have some choices and decisions to make based on the fact that God is coming into the world. I think that's something God wants us all to think about. What do we do with Jesus? What have we done with Jesus this past year? 
Because the choices and decisions that we make every day about what we do with Jesus really then comes back to how we think of Jesus. The value, the worth, if you will, the preciousness of of who we think Jesus really is. Do we think he truly is who the Bible reveals him to be? And if so, then what do we do with him? And even by doing nothing, well, that's a choice. That's a decision that we are making and we're showing how little or how much we think of this Jesus who has come into the world. And so every day of our lives, not just at Christmas time or at Easter time, we're always in our lives reflecting what we do with Jesus. And that was certainly true of Joseph. I mean, Joseph had some major decisions and choices to make here based upon the fact that God was going to come in the form of a baby and his betrothed wife-to-be Mary was now carrying that child. Now, obviously, at this point, here at the beginning, he doesn't know this yet, which is why he's contemplating how he's going to deal with it, the decisions and choices that he's going to have to make. So we see here a couple things, too. In verse 18, I want to point these out because in this passage, too, we are reminded of sort of through the titles and names that Jesus has given here, some great truth about God, Jesus Christ. First of all, in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. I'm going to talk about the name Jesus in just a moment, but I want to talk about the designation or title Christ. It's not his last name. The word Christ or the name Christ is a designation of who Jesus is. It's a title of being the anointed one. It's another way of saying the Messiah, the Son of God. And so one of the things that's revealed here is that this baby, Jesus, is again, not just an ordinary human baby. This is God of very God. This is the eternal God of the universe. This is the Messiah that was predicted throughout the entire Old Testament that would come. That's who Jesus is. And it reminds us of the power of Jesus Christ. Because he is God. He is the anointed Messiah. And then it says, while his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they came together, obviously sexually is what it's talking about, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This just reminds us, can I say this, of what God can do in our lives through the Holy Spirit? Now, obviously, God doesn't ask a lot of people today to bear children as a virgin through the Holy Spirit. But we can apply the principle in our Christian life. God does want to open up all of our eyes as his children to see what are the possibilities of what my life could be through the Holy Spirit. Which is why in the New Testament, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit and and being filled with the Spirit and all this. Because God wants us all to see, what could I do with your life if you're open to what the Holy Spirit who lives within us as his children can do through us? 
That's what God was trying to get even Joseph and Mary to see. Look, God says, I'm not asking you to buy into this because somehow you're going to have to do this on your own. But if you realize that the Holy Spirit of God, who is God too, part of the Trinity, this is what he can do through Mary. This is what the Holy Spirit can do through you, Joseph, if you are willing to allow him. And as I, again, thought about the Christmas story, this is also a reminder to all of us as Christians who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to allow him to work in and through us in ways way beyond what we could ever accomplish on our own. Because that's what God wants to get all of us to see. He didn't want to just get this young couple some 2,000 years ago to see that. He wants to still get his people to see that today. Not to allow our lives to be limited by what we can do, but what God can do through his Holy Spirit through us. Now notice verse 19. This verse points out the character of this young man. Joseph. We don't know exactly how old he was either. We assume based upon culture that Mary would have been in her young teens, which means that Joseph wouldn't have been a terribly much older man, maybe late teens, early 20s, but still not that old. And yet the Bible says right off the bat about Joseph, because he was a righteous man. He was going to handle this very delicate situation like this. Before he even knew what more revelation from God was going to bring to him, this is the way he was going to handle this situation because he was a righteous man. What's it mean to be righteous? It it means several things. It means one who strives to do what's right in the eyes of God. Not necessarily in their own eyes or in someone else's eyes, but what is right in the eyes of God. And we have to be careful of that because the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And so a truly righteous person is going to desire and strive to do what's right before God. To, in a sense, do what God would approve of. What God would say is acceptable. It is trying to live one's life in conformity to the word and will of God. That's what it means to be righteous. And so that's why when he, this young man, finds out that his his betrothed wife, Who, again, in that culture, that's why it was going to take a divorce. Because in that culture, to be engaged to one another meant that the only way you could break that engagement was by divorce. Unlike today, a couple could get engaged and not have to go through divorce proceedings to break it off. In this culture, in that time, that was not the case. To be engaged or betrothed to someone in that Jewish culture meant that to... To break that would require divorce. So here's this young man. He truly loves this young woman named Mary. 
He's looking forward like any young man to getting married to her and spending the rest of, of their life together. And he obviously assumes that she's remained pure and that she's a virgin and all of this. And now he finds out, and we don't know exactly how he finds out, but he finds out she's pregnant. Maybe she told him. I, I don't know. But he goes back and he's like, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming. God, I, this, this wasn't what I expected in this situation. I, I got to deal with something, God, and, and boy, I, I don't know exactly what to do. But, but because I'm righteous, because he was righteous, he was certainly going to spend some time thinking about it. He was going to spend some time in prayer. He was going to spend some time seeking God about this. Because you'll notice that, that one of the things he's commended for here is how he was even going to handle Mary and handle this situation before he ever knew the whole picture. And there's several things here that I want us to, to be reminded of. One. If we truly care about doing what God wants and what is right in the eyes of God, God will make sure at some point we have the information we need to make the right choice. So you, you and I never have to worry that if we truly want to be right before God, that God's not going to give us enough information to be right and to make a right choice. That's never true in the Bible. Now, the opposite is true. If God looks into our lives and into our hearts and says, they wouldn't do what's right if I told them, then God won't. God won't lead people who don't want to be led. God won't force his way and his will into or on anybody's life. So as he looks at our lives, if he says, I know you won't do what I would want you to do, then I'm not going to waste my time as God giving you any more information than what you already have. Because even if I gave it to you, you'd do your own thing. You'd go your own way. So one of the things we learned about the Christmas story from Joseph and Mary is, here was whatever you think of this young couple, one thing is true from God's perspective. If I give them the information, they'll act in a right way upon that information. They'll do what's right. They just need a little bit more information. So I hope that will encourage you out there who are listening to me or who are here today because it should encourage any of us that if we truly want to do what's right before God, if we want to make right decisions and choices in our life and we truly care what God thinks, then God will make sure that we have the information necessary in order to make the right, proper decisions. Because all of us probably can look back on our life and wish we had a couple choices and decisions as do-overs. I wish I would have had that choice or decision over again. I would have made a different choice or decision. And hopefully moving forward, one of the things we can be encouraged by is if we truly care about the decisions and choices we make before God, then we have to know that God will give us the information that we need to make the best choice. But secondly, note, note this. 
As we move on here, it says, because Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, literally make a public example of her, he intended to divorce her privately after he had contemplated this. After he had deliberated and pondered and considered over and over. So one of the things we learn about Joseph that is should be true in our lives is the importance, especially in major decisions like this, that may be even thrust upon us that we didn't even see coming, is the importance of not reacting out of emotion, of not reacting and responding immediately, but by giving it some time and letting it settle first. Because think about it. Think about how different this whole thing would have been had Joseph been like many of us. As soon as he heard that Mary was pregnant, he storms over to her and says, that's it, I'm done and you worthless, blankety bleep blank, you know. And burn a lot of bridges along the way. No, he didn't do that. You know why? Because he was righteous. Because a righteous person is not going to just emotionally react and respond out of anger, out of hurt, out of being vindictive, out of all of those things. A righteous person, even when it appears like they have been wronged in some way, is always going to come back to God, but how do you want me to respond in this? And they're always going to come back to a foundation of, I'm going to respond out of love. Out of love for God and out of love for that other person. Even if they've done me wrong. Which is why Joseph, even before he knew the whole story, was coming to the conclusion that he came to. That because he loved God, and because he loved Mary, even if she had slept around on him, He wasn't going to be vindictive. He wasn't going to try to hurt her back and get her back and make a public example of her. He was going to do this very quietly and privately. He had decided even before he knew the whole story that his choice was going to be, I'm going to deal very tenderly with this young woman. Wow. A lot in the Christmas story we could learn from. And yet again, when God saw that he wrestled with this, and all of us, there are are times in our life we're always, like Joseph, wrestling with choices and decisions that we have to make. Whether we knew it was coming or whether it was thrust upon us, there's always seasons where we're losing some sleep and we're asking, you know, uh, and we're mulling things over in our mind and stuff. We can then understand how Joseph felt in this moment. Maybe like never before, we can identify with this young man. He thought he had been wronged by his soon-to-be bride. And yet he wanted to make sure that the response that he gave back to Mary and how he handled this was a response that would honor God and that would show everybody that what I'm doing, I'm doing out of not only a love for God, but love for Mary. That even though she's done this to me, I'm not going to respond back to her in hateful vindictiveness, trying to hurt her. I'm going to respond in love. 
that's a person who's allowing God to take over their lives rather than that human flesh that wants to get back at those who hurt us. And can I say that's why we need the Christmas story and we need the love of God and and we need Christians who truly are serious about their commitment to Christ more than ever in this world. Because folks, if you don't recognize it or not, it's pretty evident out there just by seeing what goes on throughout our world that we live in a world of hurt and a world of vindictiveness and hatred and and many people are making decisions and choices in their life and their relationships with other people all based out of those things not out of love and so as god saw that joseph was wrestling with this what does god do sends this message to joseph Because he knew Joseph just had this little piece of this puzzle. Well, maybe not a little piece. He he needed this big piece of the puzzle over here that he didn't know about as far as Mary. And so I need to reveal this to him. And so that's exactly what happened. The Bible says an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to shed light, to bring forth more light into his life. That's what the word appeared means. Again, I hope that will be an encouragement to you. That as God looks down from heaven upon people, those that he knows are truly open to him and to his will and to his word and to his way, those who truly want to be right and do right before him, God will make sure that we have the light we need to make the right and proper choices and decisions in life. God might not send an angel or speak to us in a dream or a vision, but God's got all kinds of ways to speak to us and to guide us and to direct us and to make sure that we've got the information that we're seeking. And that was true in Joseph's life as well before Jesus was born. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Not only was Mary a descendant, an ancestor of David, but so was Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Just like with Mary, the angel of the Lord in this dream is saying, don't run away, Joseph, from what God is asking of you. Don't be scared away. Can the will and way of God be scary at times? Absolutely. That's why the most often used exhortation or command in the Bible from Genesis through Revelation is don't be afraid. It is found more in the Bible than any other exhortation because God knows us as human beings pretty well. Even though we might not want to admit that we get scared and frightened That most of the time the reason we don't rise up and do what God wants us to do is because we're afraid. We're afraid. And you know what I found, especially amongst God's people? We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of being a disappointment. And so we don't do what God is asking us to do. And really, 
Isn't that saying more about how we think of God than it even is ourselves? We might, in our false humility, get, well, God, I, I just don't think I could. But that's never what God's perspective is anyway. It's, it's never about us because any human being is going to be this fragile, frail, limited, weak human being. It says more about what we think of God. Nothing is impossible with God. And we, in a sense, insult our God whenever we say back to Him, when He's asking us or calling us to do something, well, God, I, I couldn't do that. Or that's more than I could handle. Or I could never see myself in that position. Or whatever. We're not saying so much about us as we are about God. We're saying, God, you're not big enough. You're not great enough. You're not strong enough to be able to do this through me, is what we're really saying. And so that's why the angel in the dream even says the same thing to Joseph that he says to Mary. Now, Joseph, don't run away. Because too often people throughout history have run away from what God wanted them to do. I mean, you see examples of this in the Bible. Maybe one of the best known examples is Jonah, the prophet of God. And we're not talking about some fringe person here. Some person who doesn't really know God very well. We're talking about a prophet of God in the Old Testament who clearly knew what God wanted from his life. Jonah, I want you at this point to go to Nineveh and I want you to be my prophet, my spokesperson, and I want you to speak to them for me. And what did Jonah do? He ran away. He ran the other way. He went just the opposite of where God told him to go. And if you know the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, you know what running away from God brings, right? Brings a lot of pain to our own lives. Because it never works out well for those of us when God is asking us to take a hold of something or to do something to run away from it. We can try like Jonah, but we just never works out. And I'll just share with you all again. If you know a little bit of my personal testimony throughout my life in ministry. You know, I've shared with you before, that was true of my life when I knew God wanted me to be a pastor long time ago. And I ran from God's will for my life for a number of years until I was finally so miserable that I decided to give in to God. I ran from God when I knew God five years ago wanted me to start a church. <laughs> And I basically said, no, God, I don't want to do that. Anything but start a church. And I ran for a while. And my family especially will tell you that I wasn't very nice to live around while I was running. Because like a lot of you, we get that way. When we're running from God, we know we're not doing what God is asking us to do. So therefore, we're not at peace within ourselves. So therefore, we're not very fun to be around outside either. That's the way it works. My family will tell you, I was angry. When I, and some of you, dear people, I, I, I'll apologize to you right now because some of you were, the, were some of the ones that came up and said, hey, have you ever thought about starting a church? And Maybe if I didn't bite your head off at the time, I was thinking about it. Like, stop coming up to me telling me to start a church. I'm running from God right now. Don't you understand that? I don't want to hear this anymore. And God would just gently keep sending people into my life. 
Till finally, I realize, you know what? This running from God thing just doesn't work. That's what the angel in the dream was trying to remind Joseph. Don't run away, Joseph. It'd be so easy for you right now to do the easy thing and not deal with Mary and not deal with this situation and just run away. That's the way a lot of people live today. Thinking that somehow I can run away from my problems. I can run away from these situations. And somehow they're all going to work out if I just keep running. And they never do. In fact, they only keep multiplying and getting worse and worse. And and the pressure and the pain only in my life gets worse and worse. Because I'm not taking time to deal with it in a God-honoring, God-prescribed way. If you're running today, I can tell you from personal experience... Stop it. Stop running. God may not send a giant fish to swallow you up at the bottom of the ocean, but it's not going to go well for you if you keep running. I can tell you that. Rise up and say, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, then I'm going to take hold of it. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord said to Joseph. Don't be afraid to take hold of Mary. God right now may be saying to some of you, I want you to rise up and take hold of something. I want you to do this. Stop running from me. This is my will for you. This is my design for you at this moment. Rise up and take it. For nothing is impossible with God. Because he said and reminded Joseph in verse 20, because the child conceived in her again is from the Holy Spirit. All this is happening because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, I'm not asking you to do something that you can't humanly do. Mary, I wasn't asking you, you young lady, to do something you can't humanly do. I'm asking you to do what you can humanly do, and then what you can't do, leave up to me, the God that nothing is impossible for. That's what God wants all of us to see in the Christmas story. That God took very everyday, average, ordinary people who, yes, desired to be right before God, but just average, ordinary, everyday people. He didn't go to the palaces. He didn't go to the movers and shakers. He didn't go to the great politicians and kings and princes and princesses of his day to work his will through and to bring the baby Jesus into this world through. He went to a young couple in Nazareth, of all places. Obscure, little tiny town up there in the north of Israel. And that's who he worked his will through. God does the same thing today. But God is saying to all of us, trust me. Trust me. He goes on to say, she will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. The first title or designation we saw for Jesus was Christ. Now we come to his name, Jesus, which simply means salvation is of the Lord. It would be a way of saying our help comes from God, which is a common biblical thing. That our rescue, our deliverance, our salvation isn't from us. It's from God. It's from a source outside of ourselves. So hear me, please. In the first name, Christ, the designation for who Jesus is, the anointed Messiah, the Son of God, we see the power of God. In the name Jesus, we see the provision of God. 
Because his name, his very name, reminds us that God will provide the help, the salvation, the deliverance, and the rescue that we need if we need it. It will not have to come from within us. It will come from outside of us through this baby, Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Can I tell you why a lot of people today aren't into the Christ of Christmas? <laughs> it's because they have no understanding or don't see any need for a Savior. And part of the problem or reason is because there's no such thing as sin anymore in our culture and in our world. We don't talk about sin. In fact, we even make up words in place of sin. Nothing is sin anymore, which is simply a violation or wandering from God's standard. It's, it's a disease. It's a weakness. We'll call sin any other thing but sin. Because it's only when you and I as human beings are willing to admit and acknowledge there's a sin problem that we look to Jesus and look for salvation. If I think I'm okay and I can deal with life on my own and nothing or no one ever gets the best of me, and my life absolutely lives up to any standard, including God's, and I don't, there is no God, I get rid of God, therefore I get rid of His standard, I don't have to deal with sin. I don't have to deal with falling short of the mark of God. I don't have to deal with that. Because in my eyes, I'm a good person. I mean, that's what the Joe, Jane, average person on the street will say when you start talking to them about salvation. I'm a pretty good person. And if there is a God and if there is a heaven, I just hope I'm good enough to get there. That kind of response from the average person today just totally has a total ignorance of sin. And that's why the message of Christmas is so important. Because what's the angel of the Lord say to Joseph? He's coming to save his people from their sins. And until we're willing to acknowledge our sin problem, we will never truly value the baby Jesus at Christmas time. We will never stand before the Christ of Christmas in awe and wonder of what the message of Christmas is all about. It will be lost. It will be X'd out. Because there is no sin. There is no sin problem in my life. Then verse 22. This all happened so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled, carried out in complete detail. That's what the word fulfilled means in the Greek language. In other words, the angel of the Lord is also reminding Joseph of this very important truth. 
Joseph, everything surrounding the birth of this baby Jesus, even now in this little town of Bethlehem, we're going to get you to next week if you come back. All of this was predicted hundreds and thousands of years before it actually happened. And what this should wake all of us up to is this. If Christmas and the birth of Christ happened exactly as God predicted it would through all of his Old Testament prophets, then do we not think that everything else that God predicted was going to happen is going to happen exactly in every specific minute detail exactly like he said it would? See, that's something that should wake us up. That One of the other big things that the Christmas story reminds us of is that the entire Christmas story and birth of Jesus is all about predictive prophecy. Everything from where Jesus would be born to who would come and visit him and all of that was predicted hundreds and thousands of years before and only God could do that. So for those in our world today that want to write off this book as just an average ordinary book and, and it's just nothing special about the Bible, again, totally miss the message of Christmas and totally miss what God wants us to learn from the message of Christmas. And that is, if everything happened exactly as I said it would about the birth of Christ, then don't you think everything's going to happen exactly as I'm saying it about the return of Christ? Don't you think everything's going to happen exactly as I've said about eternity? See, that's what the Christmas story should remind us of. The accuracy of God's word and the reliability and the dependability of God's word. If God said something's going to happen, it happens exactly like God says. Because it's his word. And he can't lie. And that's exactly what the angel of the Lord was reassuring Joseph. Joseph, everything's going to happen exactly like God said. And I'm sure Joseph, the light bulb started to go on because Joseph, being a righteous person, would have been a man of the word of God. And he would have said, I know these Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. And now I'm going to be part of that? I'm sure that started to like, wow. God, I'm, I'm going to be right in there, in the thick of it all. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. The last title, the first title was Christ. The second name, obviously, for Jesus was Jesus. The third title or designation we see here of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, or with us is God, and it reminds us of the presence of God. If Christ speaks to us of the power of God and Jesus speaks of the provision of God, then the name or title or designation of Jesus as Emmanuel reminds us of the presence of God in our lives. He is with us. And that's exactly what Jesus said, wasn't it? Before he left his disciples. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you unto the end of the age. God says the same thing to his people today. So when Joseph awoke, verse 24, from the sleep, notice he did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife. He grabbed hold of what God had for him. He could have run away. He could have, he could have said no. But he stepped up 
He rose up and he grabbed hold of what God had for him. This is what we can learn from this young couple in the Christmas story. That Joseph and Mary, as we contemplate and ponder and consider the coming of Jesus Christ, that one of the things that should ring in our ears throughout the Christmas season is if this young couple, if they could step up and take hold of what God had for them, if they didn't run away from God's will for their life, then why am I running away from what God has for me? Maybe it's time for me to step up and grab a hold of what God has for me and stop running. Because if I do that, I am reminded that the power of God will be with me, the provision of God will be with me, and the very presence of God will be with me through it all. Jesus Christ Emmanuel. He is the one born in Bethlehem. Will we rise up as a church? Will we rise up as individuals and take and grab hold of what God has for us? That's what Joseph did that very day. Immediate action. In fact, immediate energetic action replaced painful doubt in Joseph's life. As we started this passage, we could only imagine the angst and and. And the herd and all that was going through Joseph's mind as he found out that this dear young girl that he was getting ready to marry was pregnant. And he just was like, God, what am I to do? How am I to handle this? And by the end of this revelation from God, he knew exactly what he needed to do. He needed to take her as his wife. In spite of what that was going to bring to him and bring to them, they were going to walk through God's will together. Are you ready to walk with God together in what he has for you today? What will we do with the child Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. No other name like Jesus. No other one like Jesus. Our Savior, our Deliverer, the one who rescues us the very wisdom of God, the power, the provision, the presence of God, all embodied in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. And yet, God, you are showing us through this Christmas story that your plan throughout history, even from the creation of Adam and Eve in the garden, was to work in and work through human beings that were created in your image. And God, here again, you are showing us through the coming of Jesus Christ how you wanted to work through this young couple, Joseph and Mary. But in order for them to rise up and take hold of what you had for them, they had to come to a a conclusion and an understanding of who you were. To see you, not to see themselves. And God, I pray today that as we contemplate who Jesus is to us, who is this child Jesus? What do we believe about him? What will we do with Jesus? Not only today, but throughout the rest of this year and in the year to come. Lord, these are major decisions and choices and questions that we will have to answer. Because Jesus came into the world 
No human being can avoid answering these questions. No human being can avoid these choices and decisions of what we do with this child Jesus. All of us need to come to some conclusion. What will our conclusion be? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.